Now, it's CSL, Charlotte Sports Live. There he goes to make his move. He's going to switch back over. Oh, the block and around goes the 34. And Riddick steals one. Right now on Charlotte Sports Live, final lap mayhem at Talladega Super Speedway as Tyler Reddick ridges to a wild first place finish. And Charlotte FC's 14-match home unbeaten streak is over tonight. We'll show you what went wrong at Bank of America Stadium. Welcome into an hour-long edition of Charlotte Sports Live on this Sunday night. I'm Grace Grill. He's Gabe McDonald. We've got a lot for you tonight. Yeah, we got a full hour coming up for you guys, and we have so much to talk about from Talladega. Plus, it is finally NFL Draft Week, and the Charlotte Checkers now know their first-round opponent, but we start with a head-scratcher at Bank of America Stadium tonight, Grace. Oh, uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, that streak. 14 straight. We'll see how that goes. Charlotte FC hosting Minnesota United FC. The crown missing many early opportunities in this one, and it would come back to bite them on the scoreboard. 31st minute, no score. Minnesota's Robin Ludd floats a pass to Tani Olawashi, and he scores with the right foot. Olawashi fires it in from the top of the box. Minnesota United leading 1-0. That's where this game would be at the half. Things went from bad to worse in the opening few minutes of the second half. Terrible defense by Charlotte, and Ludd finishes with the left foot to make it 2-0 Minnesota. And they get another goal a few minutes later to make it 3-0. And that is how this one would end at the bank. Mike Lissette wraps us up with much more from Bank of America Stadium. Well, you figure the whole match unbeaten streak had to come to an end sometime, but man, was this an ugly way for it to go down. Following off their convincing victory over Toronto last week, the crowd went out and played by far their worst effort of the season, a 3-0 loss to Minnesota. There was a lot of blame to go around after the game, but head coach Dean Smith says it starts with him. It's concerning because of the quality of goals we conceded today. You know, we, we've given another couple of big chances away, one at 3-0, where the lads put it wide, you know, we're chasing the game a little bit then and it becomes a little bit scrappy. But they had one in the first couple of minutes where, you know, uh, Cali's made a really good save and it, it just became a real transitional game for us, which is not what we really wanted. We've been unbelievable here. We've been 14, well, nearly 14 unbeaten. So it's, we're, we're, we're working hard, we're getting there. But tonight was, even that, it's, it's unacceptable. We need to... We'll look at that this week and we'll go again next week. Minnesota scored twice in the span of four minutes in the second half to really take the air out of Bank of America Stadium. But you can make the argument there was a weird vibe to begin with all evening. Smith himself has a theory, and it's safe to say he is not a fan of Sunday night football. You know, I don't think Sunday night football is going to catch on, if I'm honest. But, you know, we don't get the numbers, and I understand why in, in the stadium, and it just felt a little bit flatter than normal. Um, but, you know... We made too many bad decisions today. So Cheryl FC drops to 3-4-2 on the season. Their next game coming up this Saturday at New York City FC. After that, though, they do get some relief as the next two games are right here at home. Reporting from Bank of America Stadium, I'm Mike Lissette, Charlotte Sports Live. All right, thanks, Mike. And I do. I always appreciate his humor in, in yeah. a time like this. But I, I, I get what he was saying. Sunday Night Football, we'll, we'll reserve that for yeah. American football. But also the weather, I think, played, played yeah, into it as well. Yeah. It was kind of that rainy, cold day. So mm -hmm. it was just an odd day all around. But, like, obviously disappointing after, one, the streak ends, and yeah. then also what they came off in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, you look at last week's match. I mean, it was definitely, obviously, their best scoring output of the season in a match where they were able to just kind of battle back and, you know, fight to the finish and get a win. Today, it just seemed like this team just didn't have any kind of life, honestly, on the the pitch on offense or defense. They were had a lot of sloppy turnovers. They weren't connecting on a lot of passes that they normally connect on. And of course, the attack just wasn't there, that aggressiveness that we saw last week. But I think 
obviously the Sunday night, even just being there, I mean, it just felt different. I know you said the weather had a lot to do with it. I think we're all used to the Saturday night matches. So I don't know if they had, you know, anything to do with the psyche. That's, you know, you can use that as maybe an excuse. But well, I think just a flat performance by them today. Yeah, it was very flat. You, you saw them play play more slower than, than they came out and doing this. But I also say they haven't seen that team before, True. so you kind of maybe want to throw that into it a little bit. But still, like, like Ashley Westwood said, unacceptable fans will not stand for that one. Yeah, we'll see if they can bounce back next week. And if there's one track in NASCAR, we're going to move to the racing real quick where you should expect the unexpected it's talladega super speedway after a handful of stops at short tracks and road courses we finally saw true speed again last week at texas but nothing compares to what we see at dega and of course you can't forget the big one it's not a matter of if it happens but when it happens first of two races at dega this season michael mcdowell leading the field to green in the geico 500 after winning his second pole of the season on saturday and of course the big story from yesterday was kyle larson not being allowed to qualify due to unapproved adjustments he served a pass-through penalty and had to start one lap down. In stage one, last week's winner Chase Elliott and Austin Sendrick fighting for the stage win going into the trioval, and it's Sendrick just beating the nine car to take the stage. And as you see on the replay here, this is about as close as you can get. Beats him by an inch. That's stage win number two for number two this season. Here we are on stage two. Larson back in the mix in second, trying to get the stage win, but this time it's Sendrick helping out fellow Ford driver Joey Logano. The two with the great push on the 22 to keep him in front. Logano takes stage two of the race. It's now two stage wins for Ford drivers. Now to where things get interesting. 33 laps to go. All the Toyotas in a pack, and it's Eric Jones getting loose in turn three and taking Bubba Wallace with him. Denny Hamlin also involved in the wreck. Each of those drivers would be done for the day. And you can't have a big race without a big finale. McDowell back in the lead, trying to secure the win. He and Kieslowski, 1-2 coming out of the turn four. McDowell goes for the block, but he spins into the wall. Tyler Reddick gets through the damage and floors it to the start-finish line to take the checkered flag. And there's your true big one as the race ends, my friends. An incredible finish at Dega as Reddick gets his first win of the season. And to make it even sweeter, how about this? Team owner Michael Jordan in attendance to enjoy the celebration. And after the victory, next our reporter Scott Griffin caught up with Reddick. All right, we're here with the Geico 500 winner, Tyler Reddick, in a dramaless Geico 500, at least for about, what, 150 laps? But patience, so key at this track, had to be today. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, everyone's saving a lot of fuel, and um, we were three wide, but it, it seemed fairly tame for the most part uh, before our green flag pit sequences. Uh, after we pit, it was kind of all bets off for the, the remainder of each stage. Um, and today, with just the way things kind of Shaked out, unfortunately, for, for some of my Toyota teammates. Um, that brought the final caution of the day, and um, it, it put us in a good spot to be up front. So I hated to see you know, my teammate and, and a couple others get caught up in that, but um, I have to take advantage of the situation, right? Yes. Uh, me, Martin, and, and Ty were lined up, and uh, I was surprised Martin and Ty went to my back bumper there um, on that final restart. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, they were they were the reason why we were able to win this race today. Yeah, the irony is you get to groove back up, right, and, and you move up. So talk about moving back up to get there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just when the caution came out, we cycled to the front, right? We had enough fuel to get to the end. Uh, so we were in position there, as everybody was, after they got their fuel to, um, to run really hard to the end. So we were just counting the laps down, trying to get an understanding of how much is, is enough, where the lines are, and, and not cross them and get, you know, caught up in a crash. And uh, I thought we were doing a really good job, but unfortunately, you know, um, <clears throat> the inside line really got ahead yeah. into one and down the back. Uh, but that ended up being what got me the win today. Your inside tires must have been terrific to be mm -hmm. on the outside to get it. Tell us about the last few laps going back and forth with him. And then obviously he had to try to block there at the end and you took advantage. 
yeah, no, Michael's a really good speedway racer. I apologize, my voice has gone from screaming. I hear you. But uh, yeah, just, I mean, it wasn't looking great coming off of four. I thought we were gonna kind of get eaten up there. Uh, but Martin and Ty stayed to my back bumper there and kept the momentum with me. And uh, that inside line, I mean, they, they got out far enough, right? They, they kind of attacked themselves and that's what, what set up the opportunity for me to break through the crash and, and get to victory lane and uh, cross start finish line first. As you mentioned, it's special to have Michael Jordan here. He likes Talladega. You get him a win. Bubba Wallace was his first win as a team owner. That's kind of cool. It is very cool. Uh, we've been trying really hard to get Michael to victory lane, and it's really, really cool we are able to do that finally today. All right. Can, uh, go enjoy with your team. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, five days and counting until the Carolina Panthers pick their first pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. That will come in round two on day two. The Panthers have seven total picks, most notably none in the first round. Chicago owns that pick, but Carolina will have two second round picks, the 33rd and 39th. They still own their own third and fourth round picks, number 65 and 101. They have both the Giants and Titans fifth rounders, no sixth rounder, and they own the Steelers seventh round pick. The focus this offseason has been getting all the new faces in the front office and coaching staff on the same page. And so far, Dan Morgan says the team is clicking on all cylinders. Uh, I feel we addressed a lot of needs in free agency. Um, and I think that will, you know, set us up nicely during the draft to, you know, allow us to draft the best player available um, and just take really good football players that fit what we want from a schematic standpoint. Um, from a culture standpoint, you know, I think, uh, you know, when me and Dave were talking about like the type of player that we want, you know, those passionate, hungry, the dog mentality, uh, passion for the game, uh, love of the game, um, you know, that that's kind of the what we're looking for. Um, measurable wise, obviously, we want guys with height, length, speed, all those type of traits, but at the same time, if they don't have that dog mentality, they don't have that passion for the game, they're not going to be able to reach their full potential. Um, so we really got to filter those guys out and, and be thorough with everything we do. Now, winning the draft often goes beyond the first few rounds. Finding gems on day three is a talent every front office wants. The Panthers, they haven't hit on that too much over the last decade. Defensive end Greg Hardy was a sixth rounder out of Ole Miss in 2010. He was a second team All-Pro and Pro Bowler in 2013 and tied the Panthers single season sack record with 15 sacks. Another familiar name, cornerback Josh Norman. He was a fifth round pick in 2012 out of Coastal Carolina. Three years later, he was a first team All-Pro and Pro Bowler during the Panthers run to the Super Bowl. And more recently, current running back Chuba Hubbard was a fourth round selection in 2021. Uh, Dan Morgan in the front office can make a great first impression by finding a diamond in the rough in the later round. So let's check out a few guys that they could, could target on Saturday. Tight end is a position where the Panthers have struggled at in recent years since Greg Olson's departure. Tommy Tremble showed flashes the last season, but it's still a position where Carolina could potentially upgrade in regards to depth. And Ben Sennett out of Kansas State is a guy that I could see the Panthers targeting on day three. Sennett led the Wildcats in receiving last season with 676 yards and six scores. He has good speed and agility to run routes on all three levels and is light on his feet as a positional blocker, which could help Carolina's run game this season. According to PFF, Senate is ranked as the 105th best prospect in the upcoming draft. Now let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Carolina addressed the trenches in free agency, and of course they have Derrick Brown locked up for the future, but having depth in the interior is key in a 3-4 scheme. Enter Mason Smith out of LSU, who is ranked 140 on PFF's big board. At 6'5", 306, Smith has a good blend of size, strength, and short area quickness to become a good defensive tackle in the NFL. 
Now he does have an injury history as he tore his ACL in the 2022 season opener. So the Panthers could be gambling if they select him, but the payout could ultimately be high on day three. And we finish up back on the offensive side of the ball with Chuba Hubbard in the final year of his rookie deal and Miles Sanders coming off a disappointing season. Running back could be a spot where the Panthers look to use a day three pick. Audrey Estime out of Notre Dame could certainly, uh, certainly has that dog mentality that Carolina is looking for. He's stout at 5'11", 227 with great power and balance. And he also has solid vision and footwork with great success at the second and third level, as you can see right here on the tape. He is a home run hitter who ran for over 1,300 yards and 18 scores in his final season with the Fighting Irish. He's rated as PFF's 123rd best prospect in the 2024 NFL Draft. So we know teams usually get the big names early in the draft, but championship teams are built in the later rounds. We'll see if the Panthers front office can have success on day three this weekend to help build the Panthers for the future. We are your official home for the Carolina Panthers, and that means the most extensive draft coverage in the Carolinas. Join us April 26th at 7.30 for our Panthers draft special. We'll analyze Carolina's two second-round selections, plus bring you exclusive interviews with the team. Again, that's April 26th this Friday at 7.30 on Fox Charlotte. All right, guys, big news and bad news out of Durham tonight for Duke fans. Duke guard Jeremy Roach announced his commitment to Baylor this evening. Roach entered the transfer portal Tuesday night. He started 108 games over four seasons with the Blue Devils, earning third-team All-ACC honors as a senior. Roach scored in double figures in all four NCAA tournament games this year and averaged 14 points a game for the season. Well, the Braves going for their second consecutive series sweep today, but it wouldn't be easy against the reigning World Series champs. We've got highlights from the Chop House next. Plus, Dega isn't just about the big one on the track. We saw some crazy things at Talladega this weekend, including Alabama's mullet champion. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and ahead in quick six, Brandon Miller getting a well-deserved honor today. We'll debate where he ranks all-time among Hornets rookies. Keep it here. We've got more Charlotte Sports Live on the other side of the break. Back here on CSL and some pretty big news in the MLB. There's a petition going around for the Braves to sign a former player on a one-day deal. Gary Cooper appeared in 21 games for the Braves back in 1980, spending a total of 42 days in the majors before he was sent down to the Savannah Braves, and he never made it back to the bigs. But he, had he spent one more day in the majors, he would have qualified for a pension from MLB's Player Association, which is estimated to be around $6,000. The petition currently has over 12,000 signatures. Well, speaking of the Braves, Atlanta looking for the sweep against the Rangers today. That was looking good early thanks to this Marcel Ozuna three-run blast in the bottom of the first. That was his ninth home run of the season, and it gave the Braves a 3-0 lead. But that's where the good times ended. Fourth inning, two on. Andrew Kisner. Skies went off the vines for a three-run shot. His first of the season. Rangers up 4-3. They go on to win it 6-4. All right, well, back to racing. And if you've ever been to Talladega, you know a lot of the action happens off the track. Yeah, and as D. Jackson reports, fashion, if you want to call it that, also plays a part of the Dega festivities. Well, if you spend any time in the Talladega infield, you learn two things. This track is known for its fabulous crashes and its cast of colorful characters. You never know who you're going to see or what's going to show up in the crowd, whether it's your favorite tag team wrestling duo or maybe even that random cougar in the front seat of Reese Bobby's Chevelle. It's all here. But we learned there are more than just champions on the track. Meet 10-year-old Dre Bell of Birmingham, whose luxurious locks are the envy of middle-aged men from coast to coast. Bell has been crowned the 10-year-old mullet champion and is currently ranked number one in the state. But don't think for one second he wakes up like this. It takes a lot of hard work to look this good. 
you need to brush it after you take a shower and you need to uh, put conditioner, uh, hair wash, and all that good stuff. I put gel in, yeah, straighten it with a comb. Do the girls love it at school? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Hope. Hopefully they do. And by no means is this just vanity. Dre tells me that he's raised over $15,000 for the Wounded Warriors Project. A great cause and a great young man and possibly a great hair coach for guys like me. That's going to do it from Talladega Super Speedway. I'm D. Jackson. We'll send it back to you. Appreciate it, Z. I probably need some tips from that kid as well. Well, let's go ahead and get into quick six. The great meteorologist Andrew Brightman gracing us with his presence on this Sunday night. We also have Grace in the hot seat. So let's go ahead and put two minutes on that clock. And Andrew, you were going to start us off. What is your confidence level in the Panthers front office with the draft getting underway this week? You know, I'm just going to say neutral right now because obviously we're going to know a lot more after the draft. We know what happened last year, trading the first round pick, getting Bryce Young and you know, trading what would have been the number one overall pick this year away. Let's get past the draft. Do we really start to get an overall trend of where this front office is going? And Grace, speaking of Bryce Young, is this season make or break for last year's top overall pick? I don't think the Panthers as a whole are in that make or break type season, but I do think it's a prove it year for Bryce. I think they've they've loaded up in the offseason, and I think there's more to come in what they who they put around them in the draft and what Dave Canales can do with the pieces they have. So I definitely think we need to see a lot more out of him given what they gave up to go get him. Yeah, absolutely. We want to see him continue to build. Our right, Andrew, who will be the next Panther to make the Ring of Honor? A lot of great candidates who still aren't up there. There are. I was pondering this one a lot here during the evening hours. Maybe Cam Newton, but really I'm going to go with Luke Keekley here, two-time defensive player of the year, multiple all pros, potentially a Hall of Famer. I really think he's got to be the next one. Yeah, I think we'll see either him or Thomas Davis more than likely. Two great guys who went a lot to the franchise. All right, Grace, we haven't seen Biff Pogey rocking the cutoffs lately. Do you like that fashion decision by the head coach? Not wearing the cutoffs? <laughs> not, is that the question? Yeah, not wearing the yeah, cutoffs? Well, yeah. he didn't have them on, and I was told that that was not a him decision. He was told ah. that he was not supposed to be wearing the cutoffs. Let me tell you, Biff Pogey is a character. There were so many people on the field last night after the spring game that there was a line of people waiting to get a picture with him and his autograph. Hey, he was the star of the show. Hey, that's what you do. That's what you got when you rock the cutoffs. All right, Andrew, Brandon Miller was just named an NBA Rookie of the Year finalist. Is he the best Hornets rookie ever? Uh, respectfully, no. Obviously, you've got LaMelo Ball, but we got to go back a little bit farther here. I think before you were on this earth here, Gabe, <laughs> but we got to go back to Alonzo Mourning, 92-93, going 21-10, three and a half blocks. Runner-up for Rookie of the Year to one Shaquille O'Neal. He was pretty special. I Grace finishes off. Jim Harbaugh just got a tattoo honoring Michigan's 15-0 championship season. Would you ever get a tattoo? You know, I appreciate that he was committed to the bit, <laughs> and the video is is hysterical. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not a tattoo person. Not even Notre Dame oh, no. won the, the Natty? No, no, no. Not even okay. Yankees. It's just the whole, my body Ooh. is a temple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the Charlotte Checkers played today, but their focus is probably already on the Calder Cup playoffs. We'll tell you who they're playing and when next. And the Charlotte 49ers giving us plenty of news this past week, including their annual football spring game. We'll give our observations next right here on CSL. Back here on CSL, and it was a tough final game of the regular season for the Charlotte Checkers. They finished up the year on the road against Lehigh Valley. Wilmer Scoog getting the good guys on the board late in regulation, but that would be it. Charlotte falls 4-1 ending the regular season with a 39-26-7 record. And now they look ahead to the playoffs. Yeah, well, whatever it officially is the postseason for the Checkers. They will face the Hartford Wolfpack in the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs. The entirety of the best of three series will be played here at Bojangles Coliseum. Game one is Thursday, game two on Saturday, and if necessary, game three on Sunday. 
All right, well, it took a little longer than expected, but the Carolina Hurricanes took control late in the third period in their game one win over the Islanders on Saturday. And Todd Gibson recaps the win from PNC Arena tonight. The Carolina Hurricanes could not have gotten off to a better start here in game one, scoring less than two minutes into the contest. But for the next 40 minutes, it was the Islanders that carried play. New York had a scratch in call just to get into the playoffs. Meanwhile, Carolina hadn't played a meaningful hockey game in more than two months, and it showed. I felt like uh, they outcompete in some areas, but uh, you know, that's that's why we have a pretty good team and uh, we regroup after 40 minutes. You know, we we know what we have to fix and we did that. So I'm I'm very happy that we get the W. That's that's most important these days. And uh, sometimes if that's what you what you gotta give up, and I give up the shiny good game for the W, and that's one of those moments. I think there's perfect example of a team that's been playing playoff hockey for a month and a team that hasn't and it was like whoa and we just couldn't get going and then I thought you know as the game kind of wore on we started getting kind of up to speed with uh, you know how it's going to be. We had a ton of energy and emotion um, obviously game one of the playoffs you get that and got our legs underneath us a little bit and um, I thought the third period was really good we, we definitely got more shots through and um, created a few more chances so uh, we got to do that from the start next game. After finding their playoff hockey gear, the Hurricanes absolutely dominated the Islanders in the third period. Now Carolina hopes to carry that momentum into game two right back here at PNC Arena on Monday night. In Raleigh, Todd Gibson. All right, moving back to the gridiron. Last night, Charlotte football fans got their first impression of the 2024 49ers as the team held its annual spring game at Jerry Richardson Stadium. Lots of new faces this season, both on the roster and on the staff. Charlotte looking to improve on their 3-9 record from last year. And to do that, they have really played the transfer portal once again, adding almost 30 new additions. Most notably, Max Brown, who transfer, transfers in from Florida and who is projected to be the starting QB for the Niners this season. Another big name added to the staff this year, Tim Brewster, who comes to Charlotte as an associate head coach coach and tight ends coach. Now Brewster is coming from Colorado and worked under Deion Sanders last season and he's known as a big time recruiter. Coming in and being able to build a solid foundation. I mean Charlotte's just like you said they just started so it's kind of a, a big a big thing to be able to come in and, and build your own your own um, situation here so I'm excited we're excited the group of guys that came in they're ready to work. We're pouring our heart and soul into this thing and I think as you can see, we're making really good progress. We're recruiting like lights out, man. I'm just telling you, we're going and getting them. I love the team. The kids are awesome kids. The way they compete is incredible. The way they care for each other is incredible. Totally different feel from last year. Totally different vibe. Um, and uh, I'm very pleased. I feel very blessed to be here and blessed to be their coach. Weird seeing Biff Poja with the full collar and sleeves, but that's besides the point. Charlotte will face six bowl eligible teams from last season, including James Madison, who the Niners will open the season against at home on August 31st. So of course, let the man live. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to look at this team. I think hearing from Tim Brewster there, and I, I was also seeing him on social media when he first got hired. That man is excited to be here. And this team, they need to improve drastically on offense. They were ranked 115th in total offense, 123rd in scoring. Definitely want to make those because their defense kept them in games. You want to be able to score some points, especially with a lot of good teams. On the schedule. Yeah, and I, I think what, what Coach Poggi said was right. There, there definitely was a different vibe around the team and, and being out there. You could, you could definitely sense that. I think having a more stable position at quarterback there, obviously the yeah, the, musical the, chairs last year, exactly, and that just can't happen. So I think having Max Brown come in from the Florida program that he was at, just understanding how to operate, at, yeah. go about your day to day, not just the football stuff, but the outside stuff too, because there's a lot of locker room issues last year with that football team that you mm -hmm. just don't want, and that's what it takes to be cohesive and win. And I think that starts with the guy leading your actual team. So I think that's. Gonna 
going to be huge for them. And I'm excited about their schedule. They're going to yeah. play six, like you said, six uh, teams that were bowl eligible last season. And North they're Carolina going too. out to North Carolina as well. So a lot of good in-state yeah. um, stuff as well. And a lot of good Power 5 transfers too. A lot of guys who have been in those type of programs who can certainly bring a lot here to They got to win though. Yeah. They got to win. All right, well, with the NBA playoffs underway, it's – an unfortunate reminder that the Hornets own the league's longest postseason drought at eight seasons. Up next, we were there for the team's exit interviews as the focus now turns to the offseason. Plus, it's a dream to play in the U.S. Open that started with hunger, not for the dream itself, but for actual food. The unique origin story of Providence golfer Colin Salima is coming up on CSL. Back here on CSL, Steph Curry has a chance to add a little something to his trophy case this summer. The Charlotte native will now be going for the gold. Less than 24 hours after his Warriors were eliminated from the play-in game, Curry was announced to a stacked U.S. Olympic team. This will be his first time ever playing in the summer games. Joining him in Paris is three-time gold medalist and former Warriors teammate Kevin Durant, plus a returning LeBron James, who has not played Olympic ball since winning gold in the 2012 games out in London. USA is favored to win gold for the fifth straight Olympics. One of the great mysteries of this past season for the Charlotte Hornets was the status of Mark Williams, Grace. Yeah, he was playing in games one minute and then he was gone for good the next. There was a lot of speculation on the status of his back injury. And last week, the second-year star out of Duke finally met with the media to break it all down during his exit interview. Williams admitted recovering from a lower back contusion wasn't easy. However, he stressed that he is not injury-prone and that now that he is considerably healthier, he vowed to make his return next year and remain a consistent force in Charlotte's lineup. It's definitely not something um, I like doing, sitting out. Uh, it's definitely tough. You know, it was a tough year for us. So, But now I'm definitely starting to feel better. I'm able to do, you know, a little bit more, and I'm, you know, feeling better by the day, and it's not really something where it's going to linger. You know, I'm you know, aiming to play. Williams only played in 19 games this past season. The last time in the lineup came on December 8th. And really, that was that was a huge piece. Obviously, LaMelo has mm -hmm. been in and out for the past couple seasons now. But to get to not have him this season as yeah. well, especially like I know the NBA is is all perimeter based now, and that's kind of where the game True. has gone. But you see these these guys that are in it now. You yeah. need you still need that perimeter presence, and that would have made such such a difference. No, absolutely. I mean, you need a guy down there to protect the rim, get rebounds, and also get some buckets as well, because that's what we really we really saw out of him out of the back half of his, of his rookie year after Plumlee was traded. We saw Mark Williams really come alive and emerge as a guy that this team can build around. One of those key pieces, and when he's not on the floor, when you don't have that solid rim protector down there. A guy that's seven foot that can rebound with the best of them, that hurts because in this game you need a lot of those second chance points, a lot of those big rebounds to get the fast break going. You just didn't have that this year. So, and obviously those lower back injuries with those bigger guys, nothing to really play with. So, yeah. it's definitely something – it's good that he's a lot healthier now because this team certainly needs him if they want to have some sex moving And he, he really did make that a point. Like he came in and he knew we were all going to ask about that and yeah. he confirmed it. it there was – it was bone-based too. So, really something that you don't want to mess with. But – that was his main thing is I don't want to be known for this type of player. I want to be out there. And I don't think anybody really doubts that. I mean, if you're going to be a yeah, pro athlete, true. nobody doesn't think you yeah. don't want to be out there. But, um, yeah, he's, he's certainly just something huge, they should address in the draft too. piece that they they absolutely need out there. Yeah. Well, we are just 53 days away from the start of the U.S. Open at Pinehurst Resort and Country Club. Round one starts June 13th. And for the third time in tournament history, the USGA has accepted more than 10,000 entries for players. All of them trying to earn a spot in the 156-player field. Now, 52 PGA pros and past champions are exempt from qualifying. But for the rest of the spots, local qualifying starts tomorrow at 109 sites in 44 U.S. states and Canada. 
And one of the golfers trying to claim one of those spots at Pinehurst is Providence High School senior. Yeah, the odds may not be in his favor, but you can make the argument that if there was ever a year that Colin Slima was going to make the U.S. Open, this is the one. Our Michael said has the story. On his way to Quail Hollow for the Wells Fargo Championship, a career in golf was the last thing on Colin Salima's mind. Back then, all I remember was going there to get some good food. But in addition to finding hot dogs that day at the golf tournament, Salima also found inspiration. I started whacking balls around the backyard with my little plastic club and kind of just grew from there. Flash forward almost a decade later and all that hard work has paid off. Now 18 and a senior at Providence, Salima is one of the top young golfers in the state, finishing a runner-up in last year's 4A final. What it like to become a state champion before heading off to play at Clemson, his real goal in his final high school days is far more ambitious. It'd really be a dream come true to, to play in the U.S. Open. With more than 10,000 other golfers across the country trying out, Salima knows he'll have to be at his best. However, he does have history on his side. Not only has he played at Pinehurst, the site of this year's event, as well as the first of potentially two qualifying rounds, he's also won there. It was the North-South Junior Amp two years ago. You know, if I ever have any doubt in my mind, I can just use that as a constant reminder, knowing that I can go out and I've competed against some of the best amateurs in the country, and I know that I can go out there with my best game and beat them. Making the cut will not be easy. In fact, the field is only 156 golfers. Still, there's no harm in dreaming, especially when you're dealing with someone who's made a habit of turning his dreams into a reality. Man, it would mean the world. I know that if I can qualify for this event, I, I have a legitimate chance out there. And to think, it all started with a snack. All right, thank you, Mike. The first qualifying round for Salima is May 1st, and if he makes the cut, he'll have a second qualifying round on June 5th. All right, well, the nights unfortunately got rained out today, but maybe it's because this guy was getting a little too hot at the plate and Mother Nature needed to cool things off just a bit. We've got more on Charlotte's home run leader, Danny Mendick, coming up next. And it was a game where the scoreboard may have said one thing, but the truth is, everyone won. Up next, we'll tell you why the annual Salute to Heroes hockey game still means so much to everyone involved. There are many reasons why the annual Salute to Heroes hockey game between Charlotte police and fire officials has lasted almost 20 years. One obviously is that everyone involved loves the competition. However, the main reason is that both sides also love helping people. They were doing just that Saturday afternoon once again at Bojangles Coliseum. It was the 18th edition of the event and it's raised now well over a million dollars for first responders. Police Captain Brian Crum says when it's all over, the two sides feel more unified than ever before in their cause. This isn't just cops and firefighters, this is their families coming together and so we get to be part of the larger family today uh, and then we go back out in the field and work together and support each other as well. So this is a great day of camaraderie for us to come together and to raise money for a good cause. And after recent struggles in the series, it was actually the, pol the police who came out on top 8-5 to five yesterday getting that win. All right, well, there are not many hotter bats in the minors right now than that of Charlotte Knights infielder Danny Mendick. And now it's been a jury journey for the now 30 year old through call ups and injuries, but his baseball career has been the epitome of doing it all for the love of the game. And right now the game is loving him back. Had that. Here it goes. Make it five straight days. Danny Mendick. Five home runs in five straight games for Knights infielder Danny Mendick. He's got eight already on the season, which is second most in the International League. It's been going good. I feel good, confident, and uh, at this point in my career, I got nothing to lose. Last season, Mendick suffered a torn ACL, 
And with his age and where he was at in his career, some had their doubts about his ability to make it back. Having that mentally made me stronger because, like I said, it was people were always just saying, oh, he's, you know, about to be 30 years old and he tore his ACL. There's not going to be much he can give. And it's like, all right, well, I got a lot left in the tank. His fuel gauge and his stats say the same. Mendick is currently second in the International League in home runs, RBIs, and OPS, batting 317 and slugging 817. Numbers that would currently make him a top 30 hitter in the bigs. The goal is to always be the best and play at the best. So, you know, the big leagues is the best. Getting there and staying there is the hardest thing to do. Um, but, you know, you come here and you play here and it's a beautiful ballpark and it's baseball, and I love baseball, so it makes it easy. Plus, he couldn't imagine doing anything else. His favorite part about being a baseball player? Not having to work nine to five. Working late nights, you know, not having to wake up early in the morning, and that's definitely my favorite thing. All right, a lot of love shown to the Cup Series races in Talladega, but it was a different love that stole the show in Xfinity yesterday. We go one-on-one -on -one with Jesse Love next. Now, if you ever wonder what it takes to pull off a NASCAR race day broadcast each Sunday, turns out there's a lot more that goes into it than you think. A behind the scenes look is coming your way next with Charlotte Sports Live Returns. Back once again, in case you missed it yesterday, the Xfinity Series race, the AG Pro 300, running Saturday afternoon at Dega, picking up the action in stage two. Austin Hill in front when we see our first big one of the race. Parker Kligerman spins Brandon Jones. Jones rides the wall and takes a handful of other cars with him, and then we would see a caution after that. Just two to go in the race now. Hill still in front, but not for long. This time it's Kligerman spinning him out, and we have another big pileup going into a turn that would result in the race heading to overtime. Here on the first overtime restart, it's Kligerman still in front and a handful of cars getting loose towards the front. Jesse Love in second. He makes contact with Sheldon Reed and then we see more chaos. Creed spins out Josh Williams. Williams gets into the rear of Kligerman and that leads to another caution and another overtime restart. But off the second restart, it's Jesse Love able to take a commanding lead and hold off a late surge to take the checkered flag on Saturday. It's the first career win for the 19-year-old from Cali. And he talks to next star Scott Griffin right after his big win. We are here with his first win in the AgPro 300 Xfinity Series. Jesse Love getting it. Wow, you had a lot of car because you were in first, you, you dipped back, you're in first. You had tons of engine in there. Yeah, we did. ECR brings big steam to these racetracks, and uh, these Jayborn Chevrolets are hard to hold down. So I uh, just want to give all the glory to God and thank him for this opportunity and all everybody at Wheel and Engineering, everybody at RCR, ECR. We got a lot of great people over there, and it was a lot of fun to drive today. I was pretty calm inside the car. Yeah, so it was really an incredible race and even some drama coming out of the last turn there, but you were able to hold off everybody. Yeah, I, I thought the side draft was just barely going to get away from yeah. me and that was going to be that was going to be it. I thought we had lost the race for a little bit there. And then I just got to I didn't want to pull him back to his help, but I knew that if I didn't then I was hosed either way. So, just try to wait a little bit to, to give him the side draft and I, I think I timed it just about perfectly and I was able to get away and I could hear Brandon, my spotter, his voice octave go up a few notches and I knew we were good from there. So uh, just a great feeling. I love this racetrack. I love the fans. It's uh, just a blessing every time I get to come to Talladega. It's rare for a rookie to win here. So what kind of intel did you have? I know you've been here before, but you felt comfortable obviously going around. Yeah, I thought, you know, five, ten to go, my heart rate was, was dang near resting. You know, I felt really calm inside the car and um, and everybody, you know, Josh Wise, you know, kind of trains us 
process for these positions. And I didn't do a great job holding the lead there, and then um, <clears throat> had some havoc that kind of got me some of that track position back, and had a couple of good, you know, a few more good restarts, and I uh, was able to get back to the lead and kind of control it. And when I was in that pack of, I kind of had the superior car there, and I knew that um, it was easy to get too far out in front, which was kind of a disadvantage. So yeah. just trying to play that game uh, effectively was the hardest part of the day, really. Finally, as you know, to win here, you've got to have good car. You got to have guts. You got to have some patience too. You don't win this race early. So, how did you balance all that today? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I tried to just kind of think I was going to win this race or wreck the thing, and um, kind of found some comfort in that and not get worried about anything, and just felt super calm. You know, I didn't over overanalyze anything today. Kind of just went by the seat of my pants and. Sometimes it hurt me, made some moves that probably didn't work out as good as they should have and made some moves that were really good. And, and I think that uh, we just got lucky there at the end and kind of had some good moves go our way. First win ever, and I, I know it's early in the dream, but is it living up to the dream so far? It's uh, more than that, much more than that. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That's Jesse Love winning his first at the AgPro 300 here in Talladega. All right, thanks, Scott, for that. And again, congrats to Jesse on that big win. But back to the Cup Series. Every Sunday leading up to the green flag waving, the Fox Sports crew gives you extensive pre-race coverage. But, Grace, it's a bit ironic when you think about the money, the amount of money that goes into every NASCAR broadcast you're on Fox. Yeah, and not everything is always what it seems. And as our Mike Lissette reports, the thing that costs the least is probably what makes the show the success that it is. No, everything is a what have you done for me lately. When it comes to the entire FS1 race day crew, what you see really is what you get. It was only a 312 lap race. This is a sport that we know and we love. I think whoever is quick at the beginning of the race, that might not be the car at the end. We've lived this, so the conversations, I think, come very easily to us. They definitely need the luck. Larry McReynolds, Jamie McMurray, and Shannon Spake have a kind of camaraderie that can't be faked. I'm glad uh, that you mentioned Christopher Bell. Well, they make it look easy. The truth is, it's really not even after doing six years of shows together. We want things to be spontaneous, but you also have to have some structure too, because we're trying to do a lot in a pretty short time as far as our air window. Is someone watching? That structure is actually shaped a full six days before they hit air. A team of more than 50 people helped create the content. Then on Sunday, hours before showtime, it's all presented in an open discussion in which it's decided what stays. The track is different, the surface. And what goes. You had, I don't know, Eight or 9,000 concrete bleachers on the back, and that was it. I think it is important that everyone in the room has a voice, and um, because every, every piece of the show is helping tell the story. Nice to officially meet you, David. By the time they arrive in studio, there's a plan in place. However, there's also an understanding it all can change. Sometimes you're in a situation where the show has to co uh, collapse or expand. Everyone has to be flexible. Fortunately, the real star of the show has that down to a science. Hopefully we're not ruining the magic, but that big spacious garage that looks like the crew is broadcasting from is actually a big spacious green screen, much like this one. Now up close, it's not much to look at, but on TV, they can do just about anything. Regan Smith is standing by. One segment we can start uh, in front of a, a big window and then we can go to the balcony. It just gives us versatility. In turn, it makes their job a little more fun. And unlike a background, if that goes home and, and plays into the living room, that is something that's as real as it gets. That's the most important thing. You're clear, sir. All right, thank you. Thank TV you. magic indeed. Mike Lissette, Charlotte Sports Live. All right, well, since everyone is talking about 24 in 2024, let's have him join us on Around the Track. Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron joins ATT next 
Sunday ahead of Dover to talk about his wins this season and to help us preview the Monster Mile. Be sure to check your local listings, but don't go anywhere. We've got our QC crowns coming up next. Oh, back here on Charlotte Sports Live, only one thing left to do tonight, Gabe. Let's hand out our QC crowns, and we're going to give our one crown tonight to the South Carolina women's basketball team. The award tour continuing for the Gamecocks after they completed their undefeated championship season. Tonight, members of the squad were honored with the pre-match coordination at the Charlotte FC match. If you remember, two years ago after their last national title, Don Staley received the coronation during the Crown's inaugural season back in 2022. So good to see the young women recognized out there today. Of course, it's unfortunate Charlotte FC couldn't I know, was just take a page out of that. their Come on, guys. take a page out of their book and get the win, but still talk really about cool a streak. Yeah, they had the ultimate streak. Yeah, this they season. did for sure. Yeah, good to see that. Yeah, absolutely. We're, sure. we're pulling for you, Charlotte FC. Yeah, we, can, we believe in you. You can do it. They're going to get another win soon. Should come this Saturday, but we got more CSL coming your way tomorrow. For Grace Grill, Mike the Set. I'm Gabe McDonald. See you guys tomorrow night.